with your Bibles open to Genesis 12, I want to just run something by you. And I know that we, we've mentioned this before. You, you, you've heard the, the phrase yogiisms. Yogiisms are comments that were made by Yogi Berra, who was the catcher for the New York Yankees, who had a very, very unique way of looking at life. He saw things very differently than most other people. And some of the yogiisms that uh, have been published uh, tell us a little bit about this man's method of thinking. Let me, let me share a couple of these with you. It ain't over till it's over. You all heard that, right? Now that one does seem to make sense, doesn't it? I mean, really, there have been some remarkable comebacks in athletics and in a variety of other areas, and it ain't over till it's over. But then, this one becomes a little bit more uh, interesting. You can observe a lot by watching. Okay? That one does make sense as well. But we're going to go further into this when he says, if the people don't want to come out to the ballpark, nobody's going to stop them. <laughs> it's kind of hard to make these register, isn't it? They just don't seem to make any sense. All right, here's another. The future ain't what it used to be. Okay? It gets late early out here. <laughs> and another one, never answer an anonymous letter. <laughs> and then, then the, some of you, it, it'll take a second for this to get through to some of you. I think some of you are really, you may be back in the second one still. But uh, then the last one that I share with you is this. And he made this statement, and I know that I have used this before. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Okay. Well, in a way, he does kind of open up a possibility for us there, because in our lives, we frequently come to different forks in the road. And oftentimes, the signs that delineate the different directions will have two different statements on them. One will say, my will. The other will say, God's will. And when we run into that kind of a fork in the road, the advice to take it just doesn't cut it. Sometimes those two pathways lie over top of each other, where we can say this, my will is in conjunction with God's will, and I want to do what he wants me to do, therefore the fork in the road is no longer a fork, it's a single pathway, and I go down that path. But the rub comes when my will leads in a very different direction than God's will. And now the question is, which of the forks in the road will we take? Our desire as a church, and this is part of our reasoning for moving into this small group ministry, uh, I, I want you all to understand something. We are very serious about these small groups, and you need to be as well. If you are going to be part of a small group ministry, you need to understand that our objective and our goal is to develop as disciples of Christ. It was his command. 
We want to become more like the Savior. We want to align our lives with his desire for our lives. And that means a, a level of commitment. So if you're going to be part of a small group, it means you're committing yourself to be faithful in attendance. Now certainly there are times when individuals may have uh, obligations that will keep them from coming, but unless you have some very discernible obligation to take you away, you're expected to be at your group. And, and let me say this, because of respect for other people's time, be there on time so that the group can begin when it says it's going to begin. Be respectful of the time of your host when the group meeting ends. And my guess is most of the small groups are going to last for about an hour and a half. Some of them may even go into two hours. You're going to find that I think most of you are going to want to be there for an extended period. But when the, the time is over, it is time to leave. Because some folks will have little children that will need to get them to bed. And so we, we want to do this in a way that is very committed to the purpose of becoming disciples. The leaders are committed to helping you develop in that regard as they themselves continue to develop as disciples. And so we have this, this desire to see that we do things intentionally and we are purposeful in the way we go about our commitment to Christ. That's our purpose. And as our purpose statement declares, it is our purpose to glorify God by producing disciples who will love, worship, and obey Him. And now we come to the fork in the road. One way says my will, the other says God's will. And our commitment at this point needs to be God's will. That's not easy. Sometimes that becomes very, very difficult. But here's some things that we can know about God's will and about the reason God expresses his will. The first is he can be trusted. We don't have to worry about the fact that our God is going to make some mistake in expressing his will or that he has some ulterior motive that would not be designed ultimately for bringing about the very best within our lives. And that's often hard for us to lay hold of because logically, we will often think in one direction that is very contradictory to what the Lord himself has declared. I mean, when the Lord says something like this, love your enemies, how easy is that to do? Bless those who curse you. My goodness, my natural inclination is to get revenge. To get back at them. To make them pay for what they did. And yet the Lord says, wait a minute. Love your enemies. Well, that doesn't seem quite right. And yet, what we know is this. My logic can't be trusted. Because I make big mistakes. My reasoning is not the final end to determine the direction that I go. What God has declared determines the direction I go. If I honestly believe that God can be trusted. Someone made this statement. I thought this was very interesting. He said this, perfect obedience would be perfect happiness if only we had perfect 
confidence in the power we are obeying. When I had to turn to Genesis chapter 12, there are just four verses that I would like you to look at concerning an individual who made a decision to obey what God said in spite of the fact that what God said was contrary to everything this individual knew. And this man was Abraham. And I want you to look with me, if you will, at verse 1, where it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, this is before his name had been changed to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here's the directive. I want you to leave your country, leave your family, and go where I tell you. Verse 4. So Abraham so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. I'm not sure how deep Abram's faith was at this point in time because it doesn't seem until later in the account of his following what the Lord had directed him to do that he actually becomes a settled believer in the true and the living God. He had been raised in a pagan family. He had been raised in idolatry. His, his home was steeped in falsehood. And now the God of heaven speaks to him and he understands something. This God is unique. There is something about him that deserves full obedience. And so he obeys. Now, to be sure, it wasn't absolutely full obedience because he took some of his family with him but wound up leaving his father at Haran, which was halfway to the location that the Lord had called and directed him to. So we understand that. But what we have here is an example of an individual who began to understand that God can be trusted. And the reason we can trust him is this. We know that his commands are always good for us. Would you agree with that? Okay, we intellectually agree with it. When nobody's watching, will you agree with that? When God gives a directive and he makes a statement of which he intends for us to be obedient in spite of our natural inclinations, what we can say is this. He means this for our good. That's why Paul could write, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God who are called according to his purpose. Do you understand that every command that the Lord gives to us is designed for our good? Young people, we understand that. When the Lord talks to you about keeping yourselves pure, he means that for your good. He's not trying to hold you back. He's not trying to cause you to miss out on life. He means that for your good. When he tells your parents, to remain pure. He needs it for their good as well. When he tells you to be honest, he gives a command not to commit adultery, not to lie, not to covet, not to murder. 
Is that for our good? Absolutely. Every one of those commands are for our good. Not only that, but his commands are for our protection as well. It's not just that he takes us into the realm where his goodness is poured out upon us when we obey him, but what he does is, he says, I will protect you if you will obey me. Do you remember how the writer of Proverbs warned young men to be very cautious of the prostitute, of the immoral neighbor's wife? Why? Because ultimately, when you give in to your natural desires and you become involved in a relationship that is absolutely wrong, it ultimately destroys you. And so he says, I give you this command to protect you. I give you a command not to love material things. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The wrong quote. Money is the root of all evil. No, it is not. The love of money is the root of all evil. And you look at these commands, and, and our inclination is to use this life to gather all we possibly can gather. Sometimes parents want their kids, instead of following the Lord's will, they want their kids going to the greatest school so they can have the highest paying job that they could possibly have, when maybe God has a different plan for them. Somehow we think we've got it better than God does. And so what do we do? We spin our wheels to amass more and more and more of this world's goods. And then we find out that those things leave you empty. They do not fill the void that only God's will can fill. So God can be trusted. And then, here's another thing. When we do God's will, He can be pleased with us. It's great to know that we have the capability within us to please the creator of the universe. One of the things that he tells us is that if we obey him, we will demonstrate to the world that our faith is directed to the one true and living God. I want you to listen to a series of verses that I'd like to give you here. The first is found in John chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. That gives us the assurance of our knowledge of who our God is. If you look at the, the love that we will have for him, how does that generate it? John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. How do we demonstrate that our God is the priority of our lives? In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, before I read the verse, let me give you the background. Peter and John have performed a miracle after the ascension of Christ into heaven. And when they performed this miracle, it was done in such a way that the crowds began to understand that these had been the followers of Jesus Christ. And now, these disciples are beginning to lay the groundwork for 
a great spiritual movement that is going to spread throughout the known world. Peter and John declaring that they don't really have material goods to give to this individual that has terrible physical infirmity. They said, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Christ, rise up and walk. And he gets up and he walks. And a great miracle is done. That really ticks off the religious leaders of the day. Because these guys weren't working within the establishment. They, they were kind of, uh, th these were free spirits from the religious people's point of view. And now they bring Peter and John before the council and they begin to question them. And they basically lay down this directive. Stop. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop speaking in the name of Christ. Stop doing the things that you are in the process of doing right now that is drawing the attention of the people to this one who we kill. That you say rose from the dead. But we're not buying into that. Although they should have because they have all the evidence that Christ had risen from the dead. And Peter's answer is this. We ought to obey God rather than man. Some people are going to be pressed with that today. I mean, not this day, but this era. Some of our physicians who are believers are already being pushed up against the wall by our government concerning things that are against their convictions that they believe are wrong before God. And they stand in danger. Um, what we're beginning to see is that the world in which we live is certainly not a friend to grace, is it? Now, here's the question. If we are threatened with penalties, if we continue to do what our conscience before God in the light of his word dictates, we will pay a big price for it. It may mean loss of possessions, fines, it may mean incarceration. Who knows how far we'll go? Now the question is this. When you come to a fork in the road, which one are you going to take? We ought to obey God rather than man. They may come before real long. Our president seems to be pushing in that direction. And we need to pray for him. That God will bring him to saving faith in Jesus Christ. He needs a moral compass, which at this point he does not have. When you obey, you will encourage others. You know how encouraging it would be for you all to see some brother or sister in Christ confronted with a decision that you know is very, very hard, and yet they do the right thing. We know that there are people today, young ladies, who can see the children out of wedlock, and they are encouraged by the father who has uh, helped conceive this child, sometimes they're confronted by their friends to terminate the life of that child. And yet, though, as a believer, it was a sinful act that brought them to this place. 
you do not end a human life because you have made, well, I'm not, not even going to say a mistake, because you have committed sin. That is a precious human life, and it is to be protected. And sometimes that goes against everything. If you, if you have that baby, don't come home anymore. Now which do you choose? When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Which do you choose? When we obey, the Lord tells us that that obedience is better than offering sacrifice. When the book of Samuel addressed this in San, 1 Samuel chapter 15, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Have any of you ever heard the little expression, it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission? You know what the Lord just said? That's the wrong way. You do it the right way first. I'd much rather have your obedience than sacrifice for sins that you've committed. And so the Lord tells us, I want you to know, when you obey, I am very pleased with that. But I am also going to cause that obedience to be developed. And let me just tell you quickly ways in which the Lord develops our obedience. For men, do you know how the Lord develops our obedience? By submitting ourselves to the authority of those who rule over us. Which includes our government. Until the government moves into the realm that only God has the right to address. But we obey our government. I pay my taxes. You want to pay yours. And honestly. Oh boy. I just got convicted. Driving the speed limit, yep. I got my first speeding ticket of my entire life about two weeks ago. My wife, what? How many of you had? No, no, oh, you've had none? Well, wait till you get to be my age. Then you, then you can brag it. But anyway, it, the first one, and guess what? It was by camera. At Washington, D.C., I was doing 95. No, I'm kidding. I just wanted, <laughs> just wanted to see if you were awake. Okay. I was doing 61 in a 50 zone. And uh, I don't know if I had just passed somebody or, or what the deal was, but my wife has written an appeal saying, my husband has gone all these years and has never had a ticket. Would you forgive him? <laughs> I couldn't even write the letter. I, I signed it, but I couldn't write it. It was just too much. So we're waiting to find out. It was expensive, too. That was her birthday gift. <laughs> anyway, I tell you that to say this. Men, you are always going to be under some authority. You will have an employer. You will have government. You will have law enforcement. And we learn obedience by submission to those authorities. Ladies, you learn obedience to God by your submission to the will of your husband. I 
did not hear one amen. <laughs> but that's exactly how it's done. If you will not submit to your husband's authority, you will not submit to God's authority. And kids, you learn obedience to God by the way you obey your parents. And you say, my parents are not believers. God doesn't make a distinction. He says, you obey your parents. You listen to what they have to say. That's how you learn obedience to God. Now, the next thing that's going to enter the picture is that God will test your obedience. You will be tested. And here's the deal. The test doesn't come until God's will contradicts your will. When we agree with God, when we, when we are in line with His thinking and we say, yes, what He has declared is exactly the direction I believe I should go, there is no test. The test comes when God has spoken and our will is reflected in a very different direction. And now the Lord says, now let's see. How is that test going to be passed? And the, the, the exam is in your hands. How are you going to respond? What if the test comes when God makes it very clear to Christian young people that you are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers in a marriage relationship. But you will find somebody along the way, and, and there's no question that into many of your lives, there are going to be challenges that come that are contradictory to what God has said. And now the question is, are you going to convince yourself that God's way is not the right way, that you have a better plan than God has because you have fallen in love with someone who, though they're not a believer, your goal is to get saved. And you will be tested. For some of you, the test will come in the employment that you engage in. Sometimes, everything is together with God's will, and, and it's often that way. The job that you pursue is certainly in line with God's will. But I'm just going to throw this out to you. When you're offered a promotion, but it means that you move to an area where there is no possibility of gathering together with believers of like faith, but boy, it's a nice raise if you go. Where are you going to go? Are you going to take that raise and take that promotion and move to where it's going to be very lucrative, or are you going to make the number one priority the spiritual well-being in your family, where they continue to be under the sound of the Word of God and influenced by the lives of godly people? See, the test doesn't come until it contradicts what you want. And you could go on and on, and you could, you could pursue a whole variety of different scenarios where the test that God brings to you ladies, when your husband makes a really stupid decision and you say, you know what? I can't go along with this. I'm going to do things my own way. By the way, this happens a lot. I talk to people frequently where this has been the case. And the wife says, I know better. And you know what? Here's the thing. Your way might be a better way. 
But God's command to you is to submit to the authority of your husband. And so you submit. Or at least you should. And then you pray that God will change your husband's heart. I'm watching some blank stares right now. Was, it, was that a correct statement to make? Was that right? Yeah. Is it hard? Yeah. yeah. Daddy has to pray for me all the time. With frequency. Because I will make decisions to do things that perhaps are not the wisest. But, I thank the Lord for a godly wife who says it's more important that I submit to my husband's authority than that I have my own way. And so she goes along with it. Prays for me. The consequences of my decision comes. I'm licking my wounds. She's smiling. <laughs> and she has obeyed the Lord. And hasn't made me angry at her. In the process. See, God means it for good, doesn't he? Well, you'll be tested. And then here's, here's one of the best things. You will be rewarded for your obedience. This doesn't happen out in an ethereal realm. God is watching our obedience, and one of the things that He promises is this. There will be blessing that comes along with obedience. It doesn't mean that life will be easy. It doesn't mean that there will not be trials. It does not mean that you won't, that, that, that it's possible that you won't experience hardship. No. Following the will of God and receiving His blessings can oftentimes include those difficult circumstances of life. Sometimes when you have to make the sacrifices that are necessary in order to follow the Lord's will, it makes life tough. But here comes the blessing. I have the peace of God ruling in my heart. One of the things over the years that I've observed is that oftentimes when kids are confronted with the realities of God's word and they are challenged to follow the Lord in obedience and they say, I will give my life to serve Christ. It may be on the mission field. It may be as a pastor. When you hear the, the mission field part, parents bristle. And they say, where are you going to go? Well, I... I really believe the Lord is leading me to uh, <clears throat> Afghanistan. No, no, you can't go. No, 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 no. Who do the children obey? Well, that becomes a tough question. But here's what I know. If the Lord wants them to go to Afghanistan, and I'm using that as perhaps one of the most difficult examples. If he wants them to go there, and they don't go, but they live instead in disobedience, there will be a very high price to pay. If they go, they may lose their lives. But like Paul said, we don't count ourselves, our, our lives, dear unto ourselves. We die daily. We are in the Lord's hands. And when you go and people get saved and believers grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ, there is suddenly the realization 
of how blessed we are. I was reading two missionary letters this morning. One from our missionaries in Ecuador and one from our missionaries in Uganda. And both of them had wonderful reports to give of people who have come to know Christ as Savior. And it's because they have willingly made sacrifices that have cost them dearly. In some cases, it's cost them their health. In other cases, it's cost them uh, family separation. And yet, they are rejoicing because they know they're doing what God wanted them to do. And he is rewarding their efforts by his grace. But then there's the other side of the coin. There will be punishment. And there will be chastisement for disobedience. I've watched people pursue their own desires with the absolute certainty that the direction they're going is going to bring real fulfillment and blessing into their lives. And the fact of the matter is, destruction comes. And the Lord warns us that there will be chastisement. Those he loves, he chastens. Sometimes it'll be very direct. There were two people who learned that the hard way, Ananias and Sapphira. Sometimes it will be the result of the natural consequences of our disobedience. Do you remember how the Lord said in Romans chapter 1 how people did not desire to keep God in their thinking, but instead they began to worship the creature rather than the creator. What was the punishment? He turned them over to their own ways. And that brought destruction. And I think we see some of that happening around us today. In that particular case, it was referring to homosexuality. Men with men, women with women. And he turned them over to their own ways. And that's what brought the punishment. What a blessing it would be if we as followers of Jesus Christ would commit ourselves to the development of discipleship so that what the Lord said to his disciples is precisely what we would embrace. Go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. Even to the end of the age. To obey is better than sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And we thank you, Father, that we can spend time now remembering what our Savior did for us. And Lord, by your grace, we pray that we would be motivated and we would be encouraged to obey you. You can be trusted. Forgive us, Father, for our lack of trust. Cause us to understand the great love that you have for us. That love that was proven at the cross of Calvary through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would bless our hearts now as we remember our Savior through these elements of communion. 
Thank you.